This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, Voice of Hawke's Bay. This is the program called Canny Views. It's all about finances, money, what to do with your money, what to invest in, what not to perhaps invest in. And it's our pleasure, as always, to have in the studio Nick Stewart, who is the CEO of the Stewart Group from right here in Hastings. Been in the business for 35 years, the Stewart Group. How are you going, Nick? Very well, thank you. Great to be here with you in our safe little uh, region of Hawke's Bay. In our little bubble. In our little bubble, yeah. Can you believe it's back again? Yeah, rather staggering, but um, but look, we we all were warned that that could be the possibility, and you know, it's um, I, I you know, I guess these things are like a, a dress rehearsal. Yes, indeed. And history does repeat, just as markets do. These events will continue to happen. Indeed. Now, today we're going to talk about something which is uh, going to be uh, at the front of everyone's mind, maybe because. We think there's an election just around the corner, but maybe there isn't. We don't know yet. We haven't been advised one way or the other. But you want to talk about should investors bother about election results, and should they or not? Well, history would show, and you know we've run um, some pretty serious analysis for New Zealand and the US. US, of course, we've got a great data set of history. And in the US, it shows that it doesn't matter if it's a blue party or a red party – uh, in power in the United States, effectively, um, it's very, very difficult to time what happens with with those um, the, the elections and mm-hmm. who is the president, etc. So, in fact, people just should focus on the markets, not focus on who actually uh, leads the country. Uh, in New Zealand, the data set's a little shorter, um, but certainly in New Zealand, it is very much the same. And the fact is that, um, you know, irrespective of who is in power. Um, you know, markets markets find their own way. A little bit like water, you know, anyone who's had had, had a leak that they've had to sort, water will travel uh, everywhere and anywhere. Right. And, and a little bit like you know, capital markets are very similar. I wonder why though. It generally does follow some sort of small trend, doesn't it? If you're left leaning or socialist government gets in, it initially does affect the market. They normally go down. Why is that? Well, it can be that the market. Is, can be disappointed with an outcome for a period of time, and then there's a period of adjustment. Mm-hmm. So we had it where you may recall the winter of discontent, yes, which was when um, um, the Labour Party, led by um, uh, Helen Clark, came into power. Business sentiment was was just a little bit down in the dumps, mm-hmm. and um, she went on a very um, She front-footed a a bit of a campaign to warm business up, and then things came away again. So you you can have a period where it's a little bit down in the dumps, but then then, um, away it goes again. I mean, we've been with MMP now for, what, 20-odd years, Mm. haven't we? Is an MMP government any better or any worse than a first-past-the-post from an economical environment? I mean, you know, it's it's looking possible that uh, Labour might, in fact, be the government on their own this time around. Is it going to be better for an economy uh, or for uh, for markets? Well, 
just remember that if someone does get a majority, it's never been done in an MMP environment no. in this country. So that would be an absolute first. Uh, and I'll put the caveat out there that um, also in a COVID environment, things swing very quickly. Yes. You know, what's the old term? A week is a long time That's in right. <laughs> politics. Well, politics and COVID mixed together, dare I say it, 24 hours is a long time in politics. Yeah. So so one wouldn't expect that a party would, in an MMP environment, actually come through and win you know, an absolute outright majority. But if they did, that would be a little bit like first past the post, which is the, you know, kind of Westminster system yeah. where you get absolute majority and you get clear cut decisions. Whereas with MMP, which was designed, of course, for Germany um, post World War Two, mm-hmm. where no one party could ever have a full mandate or very difficult to achieve that outcome. So, you know, our economic growth and our engine, GDP, et cetera, prosperity in this nation hasn't been affected by MMP thus far. No. So it shows it has worked. And one would also say with MMP, there's a natural handbrake. I mean, you know, a lot of people bemoan Winston, you know, yes. the fact that, you know, the um, the Greens and Labour want to go in one direction and he stymies it with a handbrake at the 11th hour. But that hasn't affected actually what's happened in terms of the prosperity, in terms of investment, et cetera. I suppose from an average Joe Blow's point of view, and I often say this to people who moan about being left or right, I say, well, you know, how would your life be different if the opposition were in government? Because, you know, <laughs> even if you just wind the clock back, say, three or four years uh, under a national government, Joe Blow's life didn't really change when uh, the Labour coalition went in. Yeah, so. I think you would say that that's because our parties um, historically have actually been quite um, centred in their approach. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be a little bit left or a little bit right, but they're kind of centre-bound. Um, you know, you know, we've never really had a, a left or right um, leaning coalition um, since we've had uh, MMP. No, you mentioned that the markets really don't change much, but I, but I wonder. Uh, my wife and I were sort of a bit mm. avid followers of politics, and uh, my wife's always looking at the uh, the stock market and the price of gold and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it was just a week ago, a week ago that uh, gold hit a historical high. I think it was twenty two hundred dollars an ounce. Yes. Now it's down to about nineteen thirty this morning. So, <laughs> what, what what was why did that happen? I mean, we, most people putting it down to COVID and the problems in America with uh, you know, what's going on over there, but. You thought, where, where's it going to stop? But now it's, it's lost a fortune, really. Someone, someone's lost a fortune, haven't they? Well, they are on, on paper, on the short term. And if you were uh, forced into um, having to liquidate your position and you've been in there for a short period of time, yeah, yeah that, um, that could happen. Yeah. What, do you think, what, what drove gold up to that point? Well, during this kind of COVID period and where we've got a, you know, a Western world Western um, democracies are effectively uh, printing money, yep. uh, quantitative easing. So what you've got is that during those kind of periods of time, uh, people do look for, let's call them, um, hard assets. Mm-hmm. And certainly, um, you know, gold and other precious metals are such a commodity. I mean, we, you know, we've seen, you know, anecdotal evidence in New Zealand that over this COVID period, you know, the um, appetite of people to acquire um, rolling assets in the form of a, you know a vintage vintage motor car, or um, a liquid asset in the form of wine or art, we've actually seen that they've actually appreciated quite strongly yes. over this period. Um, but what will that be like uh, uh, in the years ahead? You know, uh, history would show that 
that a lot of the time these things do start to smooth out and rather than there being um, humps and troughs that it is a little more linear in its approach with the let's just say if you take a longer term lens there's no doubt about it. We're heading to uncertain times, mm. heading, to, heading towards the election, and uh, we've got COVID on top of that. So what is now your advice uh, to either wannabe investors or investors who are getting a bit jittery? What do you, I know what you're going to say, but uh, what are you going to say to everyone? I'm going to say focus long. <laughs> yep. Focus on the long term. Focus on your goals and objectives. And try to ignore the day-to-day noise because, you know, if you were – if you were watching the um, Prime Minister's address last night at, what was it, about 9, yep. 9.20 p.m., um, you know, some people would have had a sleepless night and they would have been extremely, extremely nervous. Um, now, that's focusing on the absolute, you know, that's micro, that's very, very short, whereas if people are talking about, let's say they're age 65, they've just retired or about to retire, you know, the probability is that if they're fit and well, um, that they're going to live on the planet for their third age. Mm-hmm. In other words, about another 30 years. So if you were thinking about what happened over the last 24 hours versus what's going to happen over the next three decades or an entire generational play, you sit there and you go, actually, I need to focus on the long term, not the short term. Mm-hmm. Did the uh, market, New Zealand market, have a, an instant reaction to that announcement last night? Did you, I mean, you're the man with the finger on the, on yeah. the, on the figures. Was there a reaction to it? Yeah, yeah, there was. I remember uh, last night I jumped on and just had a look at where the New Zealand dollar was trading versus the US. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, US um, NZD cross is always is always a good um, you know bellwether, so to speak. And yeah, our currency did drop. Uh, immediately upon the announcement. Um, but in reality, it's um, over a trading period of a week, uh, it's about even Stevens yeah. over the week. Now, we've, we've been involved in COVID since you know, late February. Uh, are you surprised from a financial uh, point of view just how well the markets have held up and why have, why have they held up? Well, yeah, look, they have held up very well. But let's always remember, and you and I have spoken about it on the show before, that a stock price is the future cash flows of that organization or entity over its entire lifespan so it's not what's happening today the markets look through and compute the value today so it brings forward all of that future cash flow to a price that is today so therefore you could be wondering why you know why a company that say let's Fletcher Building announced two days ago a you know near on couple of hundred million dollar loss for the year and yet the stock price is still still strong and the capitalization in other words the total value of the company is still about 2.9 billion New Zealand dollars so still a you know good company um, and that is because people are forecasting that Fletcher Building will be around, yeah. that, that it is a, um, an investment of choice for those people that want to own it. But, but today, if you, were, um, you know, if you were running a business that had a shorter duration of life and things were looking pretty bad, then, then you would expect that the uh, stock price would be a lot less. Yeah, I suppose we were listening to the program and say, I saw, I saw right for you, Nick. You know, yeah, you're a professional. You know all about this sort of stuff. But I imagine Joe Blow, who might mm. just be a mum and dad investor, they're going to look at, say, Fletcher and think that I think last year was it they made a hundred and ninety yeah. million dollar profit, and this year they're going to make a hundred and sixty million dollar loss. And you add those two together, uh, but they're not going to look at a positive like you just did. They're going to say, Oh my God, let's get out of that. Yeah, they may do. And if you only own two or three stocks, and maybe you had like a little sharesies account where mm. you were kind of you know treating it like 
like it was a TAB account, yeah. which anecdotally a lot of people did during um, COVID for entertainment value. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, you may feel that you want to, um, you know, using that gambling analogy, you might like to, you know, cash in the chips and exit stage left and not hold that particular company. But that's... That's a very, very narrow set of the market, whereas what we advise people is seek advice and hold a diversified portfolio of assets. So not, you know, Fletcher Building and and a couple of other companies. I'm talking about holding a much more diverse liquid basket of stocks where stocks and bonds where you can ride through this and not focus on the day-to-day of – well, you know, elections, yes. um, COVID announcements, lockdowns. I mean, that that is incredibly distracting. And yet in, I mean, let's say it would, uh, the market dropped at its absolute low point on the 23rd of March. Now, it's really interesting. When people were in those days, it was, it was doom and gloom. It mm. was like a storm. Yeah. You know, a hundred-year storm had arrived. But when people look back at it now, it's... It, Many investors, it's like a distant memory. Now, it's a distant memory if you held a diversified portfolio. But if you held a basket of, say, energy companies or um, financials, say, you know, you own the, you know, uh, top banks in Australia, you would probably be still, well, you would be still hurting today because you wouldn't have clawed back to where you were prior to COVID. You'd actually be suffering a loss in the magnitude of around 30% at mm. the moment. So you'd probably be still living in living in the now yeah. because you didn't have a sufficiently diversified portfolio. But if we looked at it from your point of view and we said, okay, we're in it for the long term and we look at those cycles, mm. is it likely, for instance, I mean, if you wind the clock back a few years, you'd say Fletcher's would have been what they would have called blue chip stock. Very much then, so. You know? And in fact, at one stage, it was the Fletcher building only yes. a number of years ago was the single largest listed company in New Zealand. And, and it, it was deemed to be absolute blue chip and everyone should yeah. own it. And is it highly likely that they will once again be... Well, you've got no crystal ball. You don't I know. have no crystal ball, <laughs> but they have a fairly, fairly long yes, way to do. go for yes. Fletcher Building to be the largest listed company when others are of a magnitude so much larger. But but look, companies do wax and wane. We know that. Of course. And that's the, uh, that's, that's the secret, though, of diversification and being in the business for the long term, Correct. isn't it? Correct. And the other part is around rebalancing. So when a profit can be taken and you can rebalance so you can sell some of the gains and diversify the asset, taking that disciplined approach, which requires you know that discipline and rigor, very, very important to do so. And that's why a lot of people engage a financial advisor and someone who is unemotive on those that kind of single stock exposure because a lot of people hang on to these things because yeah. it's done so darn well for them and they've not ever rebalanced. But how do you time the market? Very difficult to time the market. That's why you want to have a um, a system or a process that you agree to on what you're going to do and how you're going to transact on a portfolio. So in other words, you know, at what point do we rebalance? How do we rebalance to minimize costs? And the flip side in terms of exiting is exactly the same as entry. So if you are going to enter the market for the first time, you may want to do that across a couple of time periods. So, for example, if you were going to invest $100,000 into the stock market, do you want to do it all today? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to do a little bit today, a little bit next week, and a little bit the week after? So you effectively dollar cost in 
uh, the entry point. It'd be like, Ken, it'd be like you decide, and we're ignoring COVID here, but let's say it's all happy days again and, and you could travel. It'd be like you saying, I've got a $20,000 trip to the UK in a year's time that I'm going to have to fund. When do I want to convert my 20000 New Zealand dollars into pounds? Mm-hmm. Do I want to do it all today? Do I want to do it all the day prior to taking the trip? Or should I do it in bite-sized chunks over the next 12 months? Because either way, you're likely to get it wrong. Yes. So you're better to take the um, path of least regret, and the safest path is to have a um, a system or a process on how you engage. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Well, it's just about discipline and having a plan. <laughs> That's the key, having the plan. How do you get that plan, though? I mean, uh, like I say, probably most people mm. are mum and dad investors, and not everyone's got $100,000 to invest. And so when they come and see someone like God, I don't know, say mm. they might have $20,000 at the bank or they might have their Kiwi saver, and it's all they've got to look forward to other than perhaps their house. Yes. So, you know, to them, that's their be-all and end-all. And you're saying, okay, well, let's put it in here and let's diversify and let's just be in it for the long term. But those sort of investors are generally nervous investors, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And the thing that I've found is that a lot of people where it's their first time with investing or investing in a new asset class that they've not been in before is that they need they need to seek advice. They need to take their time because over time their knowledge and understanding and education will lift to that asset class. A little bit like someone who's been a landlord for two decades understands the market of, say, residential property. Mm-hmm. They just get it. They know what the calls are like. They know what it's like when a tenant doesn't pay the rent, where they've got an unruly tenant that they need to uh, exit from the property. They understand those things, whereas someone first time up yeah, can be really nervous. Yeah. What sort of, speaking of houses, I mean, uh, mm. what sort of advice might you give to someone now thinking of becoming a landlord, for instance, with this, uh, with these new laws that have come in, which, yes. uh, you know, they, on the face of it, they seem to be in, very much in favour of a tenant. Mm. Um, so what would you be saying to someone who wants to do that? Seek, be- seek advice. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to come and see <laughs> yeah. what the advice you're going to well, give me. Well, s- seek advice and make sure they understand what they're getting into mm-hmm. because – you know, becoming a landlord these days is not the same as going out and buying a um, broadly diversified group of shares on the stock market. Yeah. You know, you don't need to turn up to a share. You know, you don't need to turn up to shareholder <laughs> meetings. Right. You're not a director. There's no liability on you. Whereas now, being a landlord is, you know, it's it's not for the it, faint. Yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted, and comes with obligations. I mean, you are providing someone a roof over their head, and they have contractual rights now, and it's much easier for them to hold a landlord to account, and for the landlord to um, effectively uh, exit a tenant that they don't wish to have any longer. Bricks and mortar. I mean, mm. I. I I'm a fan of bricks and mortar because you know, I told you before you can see it, you can touch it, you can go around, you can mow the lawns, you can make sure that the, yeah. the client, uh, the tenant is looking after the place. And if you've got a good one, well, you're blessed. Yes. Um, but still, most people prefer bricks and mortar, don't they? If you talk to an average investor, they say, oh, "I'd love to have a house or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. Um, a lot of people. The fact is that you know everyone needs uh, an abode, a roof over yeah. their head, whether they elect to rent it or they elect to own it. Naturally, they're therefore exposed to that asset class, mm. you know, whether that be as a tenant or uh, as an owner. So a lot of people have some comfort in that area. 
very much the same that if a um, if an agricultural farmer wishes to um, expand their operation, expand the balance sheet, either through cash reserves or debt, a lot of farmers buy the next door neighbour's farm. Yeah, because that's what they that's what they do yeah. because they understand it, love it, and live it. That doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do, and for many that isn't. They diversify off farm and they buy other diversified non-correlated assets. And when I say non-correlated, that would be you're buying an asset that doesn't move up and down at mm. the same time as your other asset. So for example, if you were, you know, if you were thinking that you had two cars in your family and you wanted to, you know, um, you wanted one to be diesel and one to be petrol, you know, the correlation they are yeah, different. Yeah, you know, there's are. different pricing structures, but there's different. You know, the cost to maintain the diesel car will be more than the petrol, etc. Sure. It's, yeah. It's the it's the bottom line with any investing, whether it's uh, diversification mm. or buying a house and just sticking with one thing, is it that you should only invest the money that you can afford to lose? So if it, if it all tends to custard at the end of the day, you can say, well, I knew what I was getting into, and I took a risk. Is that the way we should look at investing or not? Uh, that is that is a very very safe way of of having a kind of rule of thumb in terms of a, a investment. The fact is that if you diversify the assets, the asset you know through assets sufficiently, the probability of total loss is um, you mitigate away that, yeah. which it, which is the key to diversification. But if you were to invest in just one single asset, well. What happens if that single asset does have an issue? So, there's a um, there was a very a, a large New Zealand insurer um, fell over a couple of years ago mm-hmm. called CBL, and CBL was a you know you know I, I think from memory it was about a seven hundred and fifty million dollar market capitalization. So in other words, the company was worth that amount of money. Well, that company today is worth zero. Mm. So if you you know had a single stock exposure, there could be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and and like if you look in places like um, the United Kingdom with housing, if you had bought a house in Hull on some of the historical floodplains, um, you can't get insurance now, and it's very very difficult to realise the value of your asset because mm. you know you might have had one residential rental in an area that had an issue. But yep. It'd be, be no different than here if you bought a property that turned out to be it was on liquefaction land. Yeah. Very difficult to realise the value. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Just about out of time. So uh, the election, not far away. Mm. Um, You've got your crystal ball over there. You're polishing it up. Um, Interesting times because Parliament Parliament is dissolved today. You know, there's um, there's been a bit of a push. I saw David Seymour, leader of ACT, Mm -hmm. wrote to the Speaker of the House this morning uh, requesting that Parliament should be extended given the circumstances of a... um, a um, certainly severe lockdown in Auckland and less severe across the rest of the country. And he also asked for uh, the election to be deferred. The problem with deferring an election, that's not a simple thing, and it's not something that the Prime Minister can do either because you actually need, my understanding is, a 75% vote in the affirmative for the election to be deferred. So pretty much that would mean you'd need to get National and Labor together to both agree to defer the election date. Who knows what will happen? This is, as I said, you know, a week's a long time in politics. It's on steroids with COVID. <laughs> so yes. one never knows. But um, but there's always a saying, and that's that you, the voters always decide what they want to do. And across, you know, with free elections in democratic countries, um, where there's good free flow of information, 
um, most for the most part, you know, people do vote in the right people. Yeah. And from a, an investment point of view, uh, what you're saying is that we shouldn't really be worried whether it's a, a left-leaning socialist government or a right-leaning conservative government. That, that absolutely correct, because history will show that that is that it doesn't matter what colour um, of who's in charge. The fact is that markets find their own way. And you know, like I'll leave you with a quote, and that's with um, there's a famous famous investor, um, the, in fact the the father of value investing called Benjamin Graham. And he was famously note, he famously noted that in the short run the market is a voting machine, but in the long run it is a weighing machine. So effectively, it's very very difficult to predict what happens with elections, and the market has a gr- is a great mechanism mm. for weighing the odds. Good on you, Nick. As was a pleasure. Before you get out of here, just remind our listeners we want to come and see you for some sound financial advice. Where are you and how do we do that? We are at 204 Cadamu Road in Central Hastings. We also have an office on the terrace in Wellington. And people can come in and see us. Uh, just make an appointment beforehand with the new COVID yes, restrictions. But yet, look, we're, um, um, you know, we just like to help people out. Goals and objectives based financial planning and you know, empowering people to make good decisions and nurture and grow their wealth. Good on you, Nick. Pleasure. Look after self. Talk to the same time, same place next time. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.